You're listening to Legends Cast, a podcast about the cards, the meta, and the community of Legends of Runeterra. This episode is supported by listeners like you. To become a supporter of Legends Cast, visit patreon.com slash legendscast. Let's do this. Hello and welcome to Legends Cast, a podcast about the cards, the meta, and the community of the Legends of Runeterra. I am one of your hosts, Mark Lutz from, or The Lift. I keep using my name and not my my handle or whatever it is. I'm so used <laughs> to using my name. I'm, uh, I'm from outside of Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. And with me tonight, I have two incredible uh, legendary, fantastic, phenomenal individuals. Um, I have my usual co-host here, DBN, and we also have with us a special, special host. Uh, we have Charmer here with us tonight. Um, we'll, we'll, we'll flip it over to Charmer first, because he's the guest. That's the polite thing to do, right? That seems fair. Yeah, yeah that I, think seems that's, fair. I think that's, that's good. Yeah, Charmer, how you doing tonight? Miserable, terrible, mm, awful. Mm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> horrendous yeah no i'm doing i'm doing good i'm doing great i'm busy it's a very busy time of year for me but that's always good right so i'm doing great yeah i've begun i've begun to say instead of my life is busy i say my life is full because i feel mm. like busy translates to me being stressed and full translates to me being blessed so I try to I try to say that my life is full, but it is yeah. There's busy seasons for sure, but you're fine. Finding- oh, no, I'm definitely busy. If that's your definition, I am definitely <laughs> busy. stressed up <laughs> less. <laughs> okay, okay, yeah, that's that's fair. That's fair. Well, you've been doing a lot of Legends of Runeterra content, so that's got to be keeping you pretty busy and also grinding that ladder. I heard through the grapevine, although I haven't been able to watch your stream in the last uh, couple of days. That you found your way into is it the champion the highest rank? I can never remember what they're called in all these different games, but uh, Riot they call theirs master master for legend for Legends of Runeterra. Yeah, traditionally for like League of Legends and Team Fight Tactics, there are actually ranks above master, so you can go to like Grandmaster and Challenger in those games. But for Legends of Runeterra, at least for this beta season, you kind of top out at master and that's where you get your numerical rank which is very similar to like legend from the elder scrolls legends or hearthstone yes so you are at master tier yeah i in a couple of days ago i was floating around in the top 50 i was in the 30s and then naturally on stream i wanted to play some memes and we we tanked that nice and proper Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. but but it's also really volatile the master ladder is incredibly interesting because they seem to have the MMR very tight as far as the way their algorithm works for calculating it. And it's very unforgiving. Um, and, and, and I do not exaggerate this. You can, you can lose like twice and drop 80 spots in master. It is absurd. So when you start trying to climb, you really do when you're, when you're focused on climbing, you need to carry somewhere around like a 70 to 80% win rate. If you want to actually climb and master right now, it's a bit wild. Yeah wow yeah i'm i'm i would not i'm not gonna get there um yeah but yes that's <laughs> i'm done i'm fighting for that gold man <laughs> i'm trying to get to that gold uh but well, we that, can help you with that uh that's awesome i'm glad that i mean it's awesome to have well someone on the show who's uh 
in the master chair. I know we had a silver fuse on a couple of weeks ago. I, I just got to talking to her. I know that she's like really pushing for that right now as well. Yeah, she's got to uh, be close by now. Yeah, if she's not, if she's not there, I think I would have gotten a message if she was there. But if she's not there, it's it's gonna be soon. But uh, DBN, man, it's a, it's a good night. It's a good night to be recording. It's late, but uh, how are you doing tonight? Doing good, doing good. Um, <clears throat> I got ten hours of sleep last night because I said, you know what, I'll, I'm gonna I'm gonna go to bed early. And it was kind of surreal in many ways when instead of, um, you know, my usual eight hours of sleep, um, I normally go to bed at, at 11 and I wake up at seven o'clock. Um, I went to bed at um, nine and I woke up at five. Oh, uh, so, so I kind of forced an extra two hours of sleep and it, it wasn't great. But I, I will say I've, I felt very energized all day. Uh, I went and uh, bouldered tonight with my roommate, so that was fun. Went to the gym, got a good workout, had some had some good times. Uh, back here, got to actually came back earlier than normal, uh, and just have been playing. And I just played like the dopest thirty minute long control mirror uh, I, that I've played in Runeterra yet. So that was sick, mm. and I'm I'm excited to. I don't know if we have time, I'll tell people about it. But it it, it was really cool. Um, and I, uh, I, I just a, I've never called huh? a 30 minute game of card game dope before. That's oh, no. Yeah, th there's some sometimes it sometimes it is and sometimes it isn't like sometimes <laughs> like the writings on the wall and you stick with it with like the hopes that maybe you'll top deck the perfect thing. And then you just get, are sad by the end. But this really was like that control mirror where it was just so back and forth. And like I was on the edge the whole time, like the margins kind of flip flop between the two of us. But like. I, like it was never, it was never a done deal until that last turn, which makes it just so much more exciting, you know? Yeah, sure, sure. sure uh, so, so, so I did that, and that was fun. And then I, I, um, just did a couple of quick games, laddering with one of Charmer's aggro decks, um, which I'm excited to to inquire about some of some of that stuff because, um, Charmer, you you dropped a um, five decks to ladder with video, if I if I remember correctly. Uh, yeah, I did. I think it was on Sunday is when that ended up going live. But after I had pushed through Diamond and, and won a couple of games here or there in Master, I wanted to release some sort of video content that would give people uh, decks that they can use to climb if they are actually looking to climb. And specifically, I was trying to sh showcase the ones that worked for me, right? Um, a lot of uh, a lot of times when you post decks as a content creator, they're not necessarily meant for climbing. You're trying to do something fun or you're trying to explore something novel. And I usually try to be very upfront in any of my video content about whether or not this is something that's, um, you know, for fun versus competitive. Uh, but these were definitely meant to be decks that were competitive as in like you could take these on the ladder. They're considered meta decks. And well, all but all but one of them. So four of the five decks are considered meta. Uh, one is interesting because it's something that I've, like homebrewed since I was about in gold. And even now in master, it's still winning and I can't explain it. I mean, I, mm -hmm. I can, like I can objectively look at it. Like there's a reason that I built the deck the way that I did, but it just doesn't feel like it should be really well positioned in the current meta, but it keeps winning. So it's kind of a hot pile, but um, four of the decks are definitely what I would consider meta decks for sure. Yeah. And uh, could you actually run through those real fast? Well, well like what those decks are? You know, I send DBN the 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 list of the things yeah, that we're going to go I through. Yeah, I to ignore it. And number three <laughs> is talking about this video, and we're in number one. 
I want to talk about it now. Yeah, he's like he's he's jumping at the because like I I really want to like compare notes on some of this stuff, and I've been very excited to do that because I've been playing some of those decks, and uh, I, I'm I've been like chomping at the bit uh, to talk about it. But okay, fine. I will okay, well, I will subscribe to your agenda did, do, did we do enough of opening banter yeah, I, yes. I hear step one is opening banter have yeah, we have we, we can, gotten that one checked? We, we we have not did you know okay the, the, okay that's the fine compound bow was invented years after the atomic bomb like 20 years like we dropped an atomic either. bomb on somebody and 20 years later we were like hey the compound bow should be a thing <laughs> Let, let's let's make a, a better bow and arrow that's been obsolete for years. <laughs> that's a, All right, uh, now, now I think we have banter covered. Okay, banter. I like check. That. I'm gonna that's I'm gonna use check. that. I'm gonna use that. I don't know when I'm gonna use it, but I'm gonna use it. Yeah, I mean, if that's you want a some, solid. If you want fact. some good banter, another great one is you can not banter at all. You can just eat Tide Pods. Uh, the no, crowd loves that. That's a bad. I hear the kids bad. are really into that kind of banter. Yeah. One time we filmed my buddy um, playing the game Chubby Bunny when you shove marshmallows in your mouth, but we made him play it with a dozen of raw eggs instead. Oh, um, that is disgusting. Yeah, that was fun. And then um, they shot me with a paintball gun a whole bunch of times um, from point blank range and video. That was also, um, those are also great things for me. Do we need to get you new friends? No, man. I think we need to get you some new friends, Mark. It's out there somewhere. It's really funny. It's a really funny. <laughs> it's a really. There's like someone giving I, an, an announcement. Like they're giving announcements about something. In the meantime, I'm just I'm bleeding. Like literally was made to bleed by the paintball gun. I'm like 99% positive. I know the guy about like the egg scenario there. Like that's my buddy, Sal. Oh, is it? Are we both friends yeah, with Sal? Yeah, we're both friends with oh. Sal Manella. Oh, Salmon. <laughs> I didn't say he swallowed the raw eggs. He just had to chew them all up. I was wondering where that was going. <laughs> and that, my friends, is the yeah. end of the banter. The banter <laughs> accomplished. Like, the, the funny part is, is that, like, Charmer, I'm in video, so I know he tried to keep the straightest face through that whole comment and he was like really successful until a chuckle at the end like he was so, yeah. <laughs> so close at not even cracking <laughs> and he came up with it. there's not he's not made a salmonella joke in the past i can't imagine i think that's just a, that's the type know, of probably type of person we've hosted um so but we do want to get people to get a little bit before we talk about the decks that you've sort of put out there and that i'm sure that people are playing now um we you we would like to get to know you a little bit more so charmer tell us a little bit about yourself kind of like what got you into card games content creation and streaming um and a little bit about kind of like your background what you came i mean i know a little bit because sure. i also came from elder scrolls legends and i followed you through that but i'm just curious to know a little bit more you know about your background and, and what brought you to where you are today yeah so um you know, my gamer tag is Charmer, but my name is Derek. I'm a Gemini. I'm in mm. my mid-30s. I like long hikes, walks on the beach, ascending to the heavens, killing God, things like that. But for card games specifically, I, I think I've decided that when I answer this question, I'm going to start saying I got into them last week because I don't want people <laughs> to know exactly how long I've been playing them. Um, you know, I, I started playing card games in the early 90s when collectible card games really started to take off. Uh, Magic was obviously big at the time, but the one that really nailed me as a small child was actually a collectible card game by the name of Marvel Overpower. 
and then from there I leapfrog to magic, and then from magic I leapfrog to everything. <laughs> it's hmm. really hard to find a physical card game from the 90s that I have not played in one way, shape, or form. I have a laundry list of of card games, and uh, then I I grew to adulthood, and I've been playing games my entire life: card games, board games, video games, etc. And I had hit a point where I just kind of wanted to uh, meet some folks that were into the same kind of games as me. Specifically, like I was playing League of Legends a lot at the time, but when I was playing, it was when people in my household were sleeping, and I was the only one awake, and I didn't have friends at the time so i started streaming on twitch with the intent of like just meeting people that were into the same things as me and it went horribly because league of legends is incredibly saturated i i streamed for like two weeks before i even got a single viewer um but i eventually you know found a a footing with card games so uh, i work many jobs but one of them for a bit was as an adjunct professor and i think my ability to uh, teach and kind of answer questions really matches well with my long, you know, long storied history of playing card games. And so, uh, you know, folks would come in, they would ask questions and I, I would answer and more and more folks started coming in and asking questions and I would answer and uh, I kind of got a foothold and uh, now that's what I what I do. Um, I, I stream well, I mean, I still have a day job because health insurance in the United States is a joke, but uh for you know my evenings i'm streaming card games or making content for youtube or casting i cast a lot of uh card games and or strategy games um but i i cast other events as well like i've done stuff for apex legends but um you know it's stuff like runeterra and the elder scrolls legends and magic and uh dota underlords i'm casting a dota underlords event for the next three days starting tomorrow for oga pit for example um stuff like that so that's my short abbreviated history i guess yeah awesome okay so i have a 90s card game for you sure there was a 90s card game because when i started playing card games i was oh it was the late 90s maybe okay. 97 98 and mm -hmm. uh we played a game i think it was called it was like a oh you know what i'm not even remember the name of it it had mechs in it it was a bunch of mechs it's like a battle tech game but it was it was it was a card game, um, and all of you you like equipped your mech with weapons and things. Yeah, and I don't know if I can remember the name of it, but I've been. But I thought maybe you could because I can't. Um, it it was just BattleTech. Like it was BattleTech. Like, that was the yeah. Name it was just it. yeah. Um, because I I can uh, almost guarantee that the minute I send you a picture of it, because what I immediately remembered was that the backs of the cards had a target. Oh okay okay. Yeah, my buddy so, owned a couple of starter decks and he took all the good cards and he put them in his deck and then me, made me play all the bad cards. And I never won. Um, but, you know, as a sixth grader, we probably didn't play by the, by the correct rules either. So it, it was probably yeah, okay. I'll, I'll put it but, in the chat okay, to uh, let you see it. But yeah, this was a Wizards of the Coast game. Really? Okay. Like that's, the, that's the card back. Yeah, that was a Wizards of the Coast game. Um, that oh, would have been yes. like right around the time that I very first started working at the comic and gaming shop because that would have been um, I was in high school by about that time. So what happened in my in my youth was I, I hit a point where I started working at uh, the local comic and gaming shop and then they changed ownership. And when they changed ownership, the new guy that was taken over, um, very nice, Jerry, uh, knew 
everything about comics and nothing about gaming. So it basically became my job when new games came out to demo them, learn how to play them so that I could teach, you know, prospective customers, uh, run the in-house tournaments, kind of you name it. And so I took that over at a really young age. But uh, again, I think that kind of lends itself to my ability to pick up games pretty quickly and and teach. But yeah, that, that was a Battletech game. Yes, um, yes. As soon as I saw the Mad Cat C Timberwolf card, it's like, yes, yes, I remember this. Okay, yeah, yep. This was the game that started me on card games that I was never actually sure if I if I knew the name of, believe it or not. Like I, but this was the game. This was the pre Pokemon nineteen ninety eight or whatever, whenever Pokemon came out um, in the United yeah, States. Man. Stuff from the nineties. There was so much good stuff. Like you know, like I said, there was the Marvel Overpower game. There was Magic. There was a bunch of other high fantasy stuff. Like there was Wyvern for a short bit till wizards of the coast basically paid them a bunch of money to stop making their game um and i've got some fun stories about that uh that we we can talk about at some other time but uh then there was like i think people forget how flooded the market was during the 90s for collectible card games because we had like alien versus predator card games there was harry potter there was obviously pokemon that people remember dragon ball z was pretty big for a while uh when marvel overpower went away it eventually came back in the versus system uh, there was people who tried to come in and take over the tournament scene away from Wizards of the Coast. So we had spoils for a bit. And there, I mean, there's just like an endless amount. Lord of the Rings was really big, like a, in the early 2000s when the films started to come out. Um, I They were published by Decipher. Oh, yeah. Speaking of Decipher, Decipher had a Star Trek game. They had the Star Wars game, which I absolutely adored. But their Lord of the Rings game was very top notch. I had one of the coolest resource systems I've ever played. Um, I got to basically be a play tester for that one so uh, that was back before you know digital games and whatever and so they would literally send us like via fedex card cutouts that you would cut out put into sleeves and then play with cards before the sets released so that you could provide them feedback um stuff like that there were, yeah there were, there was an awful lot of games uh, that i played back then and not even just card games too like tabletop strategy games uh is something that i really enjoyed and it's kind of something i'm surprised hasn't hit a stride digitally yet and what i mean by that is is that you've got games like hero clicks and like the precursor to that was mage knight and all these other whiz kids based mm -hmm, games mm -hmm. where it's like you've got um x number of figures with their own stats and then they each have a point value and you do like your 1v1 or sometimes sure. group things um and there's booster packs for them and whatever and with card games taking off the way they kind of have digitally i'm really surprised that we haven't seen the equivalent of that for you know a, a digital counterpart right the the kind of like squad based stuff where but it's also like based on bo booster packs and so forth um auto battlers is kind of close but it, it's really not the same experience i mean like and i haven't played very much tabletop strategy but like don't you couldn't you sort of equate it to something like final fantasy tactics or like xcom or something like that like you're talking about that kind of gameplay right Talking about that kind of gameplay, but in a like heads up one v one environment, right? like a competitive, a competitive yeah. thing. And then instead of it being like RPG based, where you're like leveling up your characters and things mm -hmm. like that, there are a set number of characters, and each of the characters has like a point value. And right, so like drafting you, an army and stuff, kind of right. So you would have like 
you know, you would say that it's a heads up, you know, one versus one and it's a 200 point army, right? So you go to your collection, just like we building a deck of cards, you build like a tech mm -hmm. deck of units and you get to put 200 points worth out on the field. And then, and then you go head to head and unlocking the figures would be akin to opening packs, right? Because there were for the physical version, right? For WizKids, there were booster packs of these figures and the Ed Chase figures and, and everything else like you would uh, traditionally have with card building. And I'm just really surprised that, that mm. there hasn't been a digital version, especially mm. because I feel like it would be a, a pretty easy thing to do for a mobile market, right? With mobile gaming kind of taking off, and that's also where card games thrive. I'm just kind of shocked that, that that has not yet been a thing. Sure. I mean, so the the tabletop gaming has has kind of come forth through a company called Asmodee, um, who produces mm -hmm. a tremendous amount of digital implementations of strategy board games. But, uh, you know, I played a, a tremendous amount of Heroclix kind of uh, end of high school until, you know, it was like I, I wanted to play Heroclix, but I also wanted to have friends. And I couldn't mm -hmm. do both of those because I wanted to murder my friends every time I played Heroclix with them. So uh, or they wanted to hear me or kill me because I had uh, I had the the blue lantern flash hero click which just absolutely murdered everybody and um and no one wanted to play with me anymore and but you're right like i that that particular form of playing i think would be really really cool um with a digital and it would be something that i would check out um for sure when when the second set for marvel hero clicks came out uh my play testing group and i we went and played in some pretty significant tournaments at gen con that year mm -hmm. and we actually caused them to errata the way one of the abilities worked because we we broke the game. Oh. So probability probability control exists on that game, and so did super senses. Super senses was when you were hit by an attack, you would roll a six sided die, and on a five or a six, you would just negate the attack. Yep, yep. yep. Probability control let you reroll once per turn, but it was on your turn and and on your opponent's turn. Uh -huh. uh, one die roll per probability control. Um, they errated it so that you could only on your opponent's turn make their rerolls or make their rolls reroll and not target your own because basically we took uh, an army that was Nightcrawler and then a bunch of cheap like 20 point destinies that all had probability control and super senses as well. Um, and then you, you just killed everybody with Nightcrawler. Nightcrawler never died because if you he had a high defense and if you did hit him, you would just reroll it till he dodged and your destinies never died because they had super senses as well. And that was it. Like we we swept it hard, and uh, about you know a month or two later, they eradicated the way the probability control worked. Um, I'm going to Gen Con for the first time this year. Oh, you're gonna have a blast! It's my I'm, favorite convention. Yeah, I'm excited. I'm I'm excited. I've been got really into board games the past couple of years. Um, really excited. But if you're looking for a great digital implementation of an, an amazing board game that isn't like what we're talking about, but it's an incredible strategy RPG. Look up on Steam Gloomhaven, um, which might oh, be yeah. the best tabletop so RPG ever made. And there's a digital implementation for it. So you don't have to get a friends to commit the next four years of their life to play through it with you. Like I have to, um, you can just play it online by yourself. So yeah, but if you do have those for friends, not having friends, but if you do have those friends, it's pretty dope. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Like, it's Gloom so dope. awesome. Yeah, I'm yeah, I'm about like game. 40 sessions in with my with my partner right now. So fun. Um, I could make a podcast about Gloomhaven to be honest with you. It's it's, it's such it's such a fascinating and different way of playing, like with the cards uh, and the you know the flip mm -hmm, sides. Mm -hmm. it, it's brilliant. Like it's really cool, and I'd like to see 
you know, I would honestly love to see like a D&D system appropriate that kind of card instead of, you know, rolling dice or casting spells. I just feel like you could take that what's a very gamified thing uh, and sort of allow you to appropriate it for the mechanics part of a, you know, um, like an RPG, like a story RPG. Like, I think that'd be, I'm waiting for someone to do it because I think it's ripe for the picking, like, so yeah. oh, it's so cool. It's Dungeon and Dragons 4.0, man. World, yeah, of, War, World of Warcraft, no. World of Warcraft in a book. Come on. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I think like it's just the card system is just like it's so slick, it and is, I I just adore it, and I want to see it in more games because I like it so much. <laughs> I I like to call it uh, Hero Quest 2.0 because I remember back when you played Hero Quest that they used cards for some of the spells in there. And obviously it was a way dumbed down version of it, but that's, yeah. that's what it had initially reminded me of the first time that I started playing. Playing Gloomhaven. So, yeah. Yeah. Oh, it's so it's, so that's expensive though. Like, good. dude, that game is, that game is so pricey. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But here's the thing. Like when you're a tabletop gamer, right, you begin breaking down the price of something of like, the what price am I going to pay per play? Right. Yeah, like, so yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, if I yeah. buy a hundred dollar board game, but I'm going to play it 150 times, I pay a lot less than if I buy a $30 board game and play it twice. So I'm still much happier with my Gloomhaven that I paid 124 and I've played it 35 times versus my purchase of the Kickstarter Rising Sun, which cost me over $100 and I've played twice. So that right now is costing me 50 bucks a pop right now. I got to get that thing. To the I mean, I think there's this also has like nothing to do with Legends of Runeterra. Yeah, but it, so Here, really we reverted let, back to banter. Yeah, let's let's just tie it back in and quickly remind people that uh, Riot actually has a board game and Ooh, they are great. producing and they are and it is a lot of fun and they are producing another one that is going to be kind of like a tabletop card game um that is looking pretty sweet as well so i'm excited yeah that's Man, right that, going that, all out that campaign style sort of co-op board game is called mechs versus minions also not cheap but the production on that game is off the charts it's incredible um, holy, we bought that for my buddy for his 30th birthday. We went in and surprised him with it. It is a really, really solid game. So mechs versus minions, but I, I'll definitely be checking out this, this game because their first game they made was really, really good. Um, yeah, I couldn't, couldn't remember the full name. So the next one that's coming is called Tellstone's King's Gambit. And it's a, they call it a perfect information, uh, like bluffing game Ooh. for two to four players. Hmm. Okay, okay. I like bluffing games. Me too. Yeah, it's it's already kind of caught my eye just based on what I've seen of it so far. So I'm nice. I'm excited. Uh, that one of my favorite games just to take to like, like because I have a lot of friends who are gamers, but then I also have friends who are like gaming light. You know, they're not Monopoly players, right? But they're also not going to sit down and play Twilight Struggle. You know, uh, so <laughs> um, so I always like taking uh, Coup is like oh, one of the awesomest yeah. mm -hmm. kind of small, almost like a micro game, but like it, it's bluffing, but it's quick. It's easy to explain, you know, but it's got enough layers to it to like have some fun and people seem to pick it up really quickly. Like, I think that's just I like bluffing games, but I also like when they're kind of streamlined enough that you can use them almost like as a gateway game to get non gamers invested you know 
my two favorite travel games. That's what I call them, right? Games that you take yeah. with you. Yeah, yeah they fit in your pocket, my, right? Yeah, mm-hmm. my, my two favorite travel games are Flux, like any version mm-hmm. of Flux. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and then uh, a game called Lunch Money. If you're Ooh, not familiar with that, I've never the, heard of that. There, there's uh, there's another version called Beer Money, but they're both based on the same system. But it's a multiplayer game that's a card game. And with lunch money, the premise was you were a bunch of uh, girls at a private school and you're beating each other up for your lunch money in the schoolyard. <laughs> um, but it's like a really kind of like dark and sinister version. So it's literally like um, you can throw punches and kicks and roundhouses and then you can like dodge and block. And there again, it's multiplayer. So there's this like kind of interesting like brawl mechanic to it but i say it's a little dark because there's also like weapons so even though you're schoolgirls, you can literally like pick up a pipe and then just <laughs> bashing somebody's head in yes but, but like it's oh, the basic funny. is it's, it's like a battle royale card game right like everybody yeah. starts with, i think it's 10 life and uh you just play till there's one person standing and then you go at it again and the the mechanics are just fun right because there's like a spinning back fist right and so if you target somebody and they dodge it you when you target somebody you also pick a direction so like if they dodge out of the way it goes to the next person and if they dodge <laughs> it goes to the next person just fun stuff like that that kind of keeps everybody engaged and uh yeah, kind of thematic kind of thematic that's fun yeah yeah okay so those yeah. are my two favorite travel okay my i'm just gonna give you my we i could just have a segment on board games to be honest with you okay here's my favorite travel game and then we're gonna move on the charmers five decks okay we're gonna go back to legends of Terra. my favorite travel game is a game called skull um, it's a it's a short, easy bluffing game. You can actually play it with a deck of cards. You have no need to buy the $20 game. Um, but all that you do is you lay down tiles um, face down and you have three flowers, one skull, and it goes around and people stop laying them down and start taking bets on how many they can flip over before they flip a skull. And, and you're just trying to not be the person that flips over the skull and loses cards and be the person who flips over and makes your bet twice. It is a tremendous amount of fun. And here's the great part. I've done some mission work in, uh, I don't know if I'm allowed to say, it's in Latin America. I can't say the name of the country online, but, um, and there's a significant language barrier there and we didn't have a translator. And I gave them the Spanish directions. Um, and because I knew Spanish numbers, of course, from Sesame Street, um, we were able to play <laughs> this game together um, through a language barrier. That's one of the things that I absolutely love about board games is that you can actually play play board games at times completely through language barriers it doesn't matter and it united kind of like our american team with this latin american team in a really incredible way um so that's my that's my go-to that's the game that's going with me to africa this june um and uh that that game goes all over the place with me i have to buy new copies of it because every time i go someplace i end up leaving it there like people fall in love (laughs) with it i leave it there i come back i buy a new i buy a new uh yeah new set of skull i've gone through three or four copies of coup like (laughs) yes yes exactly but um but charmer so you did come out with a video highlighting like five decks to climb with why don't you just take a moment run us through kind of these five decks in but here's what i'm more interested in because there's been people who've been taking these blind stabs at uh at the meta which is Mm -hmm. an insane moving target right now in Legends of Runeterra, determining what's on the top or what's even good or what's to one day you will hear this deck is incredible. The next day you will hear that deck is total junk. So um, I'm curious to know kind of like where was your mind process as someone who's gamed as long as you have on what decks made it into this list and, and what decks did. not I learned that in class. Well, uh, the easy answer to that is, is I 
I just looked at what my performance was in Diamond and in Master, and I picked the ones that had the best win rate. Okay. I tried a bunch of stuff, and so I just I picked the best five. That's why the one that I think is personally still kind of uh, a, a weird enigma, um, I, I threw it in because it just it was one of the ones that was performing better. But that being said, I do I do think that this meta is a bit interesting because right now there are a number of decks that have extremely good matchups and extremely bad matchups against other decks. And so your day-to-day -day performance is largely going to depend on what you get matched up against for the most part. It's a very streaky experience on the ladder. Um, you know, you can go like 12 and two one day and then with the exact same deck the next day, the next day go like five and seven or something ridiculous, right? It's, it's kind of, it's kind of hard to gauge. So, what I what I did is I just picked the ones that were performing the best, and I think that they've been performing the best because after the most recent patch, there has been kind of a gravitation toward greed, right? At least in a in terms of like a an overall meta analysis. That's not to say you're not going to run into aggro decks because you will, um, but just I was running into far more decks that had like karma based win conditions or had Heimerdinger best you know, base win conditions than it was other ones. And so there's kind of no surprise that four out of the five lists that I included were proactive decks because you're trying to get underneath them. So the five that are in the video are the the first one is an aggressive list. It's probably the closest to what I call time to fight. So back when I was making the Elder Scrolls Legends content, I was making a hyper aggro deck and uh, it was affectionately called time to fight. It was kind of like my calling card if you will it's what people knew me for um this deck would be the closest to that it's a bit hard to draw a comparison because in runeterra everything essentially has haste or charge or mm -hmm. you know whatever keyword you want to call it coming from whatever game you're coming from but everything can attack the turn it comes into play if you have uh, an attacking marker right an attacking token so um the piltover and zon and noxus aggro deck is designed to produce as much direct damage as possible. So you're utilizing cards like Boom Crew Rookie, where you get the two damage when it attacks. You're utilizing cards like Decimate, uh, which just drives me nuts that it's named Decimate. Um, by definition, that takes one tenth of something, but Decimate hits for four damage, which is 20% of your Nexus. I know that's a really nerd thing to have bother me, uh, but it does. But that you run is cards like a very that's that's like a mathematical issue that yeah. you're having there. Yeah. Yeah, I know. Um, but, but yeah, you're in cards like decimate, you're in cards like boom crew, uh, you run things like brother's bond because it's a great source of burst damage that is, uh, mana efficient, right? It's essentially two mana for what's potentially four burst damage. Um, you're running Timo, but you're not really, it's not a Timo deck. Timo is just a one, one elusive with upside in that particular list, but you do run it because it gives you a one drop. Like the deck runs nine, one drops. If that tries to tell you anything about the list. So it's a very aggressive list, and it's, again, one that was originally designed to prey on two lists in particular. Uh, it was designed to prey on the Karma lists, uh, and it was designed to prey on the War Mother's Call lists that were running around. Um, and it was, it was effective at, at doing that. It does struggle when you run into uh, some of the other lists, like the Elusive list, for example. Um, and that's largely because of the presence of the silly kinku uh, the the tutu body on that thing was uh not not a big enough hit that card is still really problematic um but 
so that was the first list, right? Very proactive list. Second yeah. list. So yes. I actually at some point want to come back to this first list because this is the one that I played a lot of. Yeah. Um, and we I just have now. some. Yeah. Well, okay. So. So I had not laddered at all outside of like a couple games here and there until um was it monday i think it was monday maybe tuesday no it was monday yeah until monday i hadn't really laddered uh and i went all the way up from like what is it it's so it's like stone bronze silver gold something right yeah it's it's iron bronze silver gold platinum diamond master i went up i went from like iron one to silver four and like three hours or less like in no time in zero time with this silly thing and it was awesome uh (laughs) it was super fun uh i did notice i felt like it had some i felt like it struggled against spiders um because of the fact that like a lot of your stuff will get pinged off pretty easily uh between the spiders being able to like keep the defenders up and then also like the was it the draining to to cost uh yeah so spell? vile vile feast is not your friend in that matchup and, and then the other spear and uh, the other thing in your in that matchup that you're really trying to dodge is you if you can help it you want a lease to not level up because yeah. being able for them to for them to be able to dictate trades with challenger it will outright ruin your day. Elise is like the one card that I'm willing to use removal on uh, in that yeah. matchup. Uh, yeah. Anything else? Removal. So that list does run like Mystic Chat and runs uh, Get Excited. It does run some things that uh, serves a dual purpose, right? And I think that folks' natural inclination with that list is to use them to suppress your opponent but the reality is i only do that if it's going to remove a key blocker or it's a key unit that i i just can't deal with so like at least fits that uh, outside of that a lot of the time that ends up just being burst damage to the nexus i can't tell you the number of games yeah. where like i do 12 damage and then my opponent because their creatures are going to be statted better right they win through uh, value trades they get control of the board but then i throw like two get excited and a mystic shot at the nexus and that's the end of the game it so, happens so much yeah <laughs> um but but elise is one of the ones that i definitely try to target obviously anything with lifesteal uh is a bit of an issue as well um, but outside yeah, I, of that it it, it does kind of come down to the draw too like vile feast is annoying because it does everything that you don't want it to do on one yeah. card right it gets rid mm-hmm. of one of your bodies it gives them a chump blocker and the one health is very relevant because you're on a pretty razor thin margin whenever you're on a hyper aggressive deck so yeah and I, I did find however that like after a while of kind of like feeling that matchup up because like that was the only one that i seemed to like struggle with and i i felt like i still won around 50 percent of the time against spider decks um just because i felt like a lot it's partly because of the rank like they were making mistakes and i wasn't making mistakes um i mean not to be weird about it but you know i i've played a lot of this game but not any ranked so um but boom crew rookie when i started mulliganing uh pretty hard to get the like anytime i get this boom crew rookie like the spiders the one for body is excellent yeah, that yeah. card so, I feel like is MVP status. Th- that card is like one of the reasons to play Piltover. Period, in my opinion, yeah. it is it is bonkers. Um, I 
if you go way back, I, I called it out. So when we got the patch notes coming out of the closed beta, um, everybody was going live. That was one of the things I highlighted was that Boom Crew is insane because it used to be a 0-4. Mm -hmm. And it went to a 1-4 and the 1-4 body is so relevant. The one damage seems minor, but it's not because it means that if if they throw that 1-1 one, one spider in front of it, you're trading with that spider. Whereas with the 0-4, uh, they could throw that that body in front of you forever essentially right so like that one damage is incredibly relevant and then the four health uh that early in the game makes it near indestructible i mean there are some things like yeah. culling strike that'll deal with it but then even still if they're using a three cost removal it, it, that's premium removal against your two drop then you're probably mm -hmm. still coming out ahead in tempo overall um boom crew is absolutely insane yeah usually yeah. with that list what you're mulliganing for is you want a one drop because you have nine of them so like just make sure you have a one drop and then you're looking for boom crew like that that wants to be your one and two right out of the gate with that almost every time if you can pull it off now your deck has nine one drops mine does not because i don't have Timos. uh and i struggled for a while to figure out what i wanted to do without timo and i think timo would be a strict upgrade to this for the record uh Except maybe maybe I would cut one of these Legion saboteurs to keep in what I ended up going with, uh, which was running Might, uh, because I found a lot of the times that overwhelm damage becomes stupid relevant, um, yeah. and, and just getting that extra three burst damage. And and one of the cool things that I I think like I loved about this is that it 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 definitely rewards kind of that clever play, and that it doesn't. I think a lot of times aggro can get accused of being sort of brainless, but like you have to be very careful about plotting out where am I getting the damage from? You can't just throw everything at the face all the time. And sometimes you're like, okay, like you have that instinct, like you were talking about to like remove something with your mystic shot, but then you just, you're like, well, let me check in on their nexus. Let me see how their nexus is doing before I use this burst damage. Where am I getting the burst damage from? Sometimes I want them to defend so I can bait them into, uh, you know, using might or really like brother's bond or something like that. Or like, okay, there's, I felt really smart earlier today. I was playing this and I knew my opponent could black spear because they, it, of course, of course, they're going to have black spear uh, as shadow isles. And I, uh, I was like, well, uh what like the order in which i played my creatures like let me play this uh legion grenadier uh and then so that hopefully you they'll use their mana before i play my amateur aeronaut which is really going to be the thing kind of contributing that extra damage and so i just think there's a lot to kind of break down here plus like get excited you need to have that discard so like sometimes it you could play a creature down but you're like but maybe i hold it back if if I top deck that get excited. I think there's so much to really love. And the used cask salesman plus the arena battlecaster has been hilarious. Yeah. Those two come up. Yeah, that one's one that catches people, I think, uh, a bit off guard that I really like. Um, I have run versions that run might. Uh, when I include might, a lot of times I'll include two might and I drop one brother's bond and one aeronaut for the mm. two might. Um, usually my decks have like one to three flex spots and i make changes depending on what i'm running into for that day where might really shines in my opinion is actually against the shadow isles matchup because yeah what happens is you you'll get somebody that will chump block you and then go to play glimpse and then that's when you hit them with might because at that point you're not only 
like going to deal bonus damage because of might, but you deal full damage because overwhelm will deal damage uh, over the top of uh, anything. And if the mm -hmm. spot is empty, then you just deal full damage, right? So like might is uh, for an aggressive deck an incredible counterplay for glimpse, right? Yes. Normally yep, glimpses, yep, yep. I stall, I refill my hand. And then in these cases, you just punish them because you say, all right, well, I'm just going to deal, you know, somewhere between five and seven damage to you as a result and you're probably not going to get to play the card you drew from glimpse because i'm going to end the game before it's relevant right so um might is something that does make its way in and out of the deck and it's definitely something that i put back in if i'm running into a lot of shadow isles at any given moment it's a great counter for glimpse yeah so i didn't know where this deck came from and i don't know if it came from you but uh evidently since you put out your video it's become a little bit more popular because i've played against it a couple of times and i was like where what is this deck why is this person playing decimate i did not <laughs> think that would happen what is this card why does he have so many i'm like this guy's playing aggressive deck why does he have so many spells in his hand why does he keep casting spells didn't realize that that was this deck um but so the i've only played against it but the i, I am playing i think maybe a, a slightly weird i'm playing a, a lot of hecarim zed um with shark chariot right now and um one of the combos that i'm playing for the early game to sort of grab early game which has actually worked really really well against this deck specifically um is and i don't i don't remember the names of cards quite so well so it is the uh, two mana one one um that can't block and when it dies it summons a four four the curse keeper curse yep, keeper. keeper and i'm running him with the zero mana three two that you play him and have to sack yep. a creature and the so butcher, uh, yeah. oh, on turn two having a a three two and a four four often almost wins you the game it's a ridiculous against aggressive though. decks um just because that four you you can you're going to trade something with that three two and that you're only going to get to do it once but that four four almost always gets to trade at least twice um and that typically allows me to get a grasp of the undying the five mana deal three gain three um drain three card and uh and that that often sort of solidifies a game against aggressive strategies for me so i've had some luck against this deck but i've also had some games where i was just completely i mean it, it, cu it caught me off guard the first time because i was like oh i definitely control the board and it was like decimate arcane shot arcane shot uh get excited and i was like <laughs> what over two rounds what did, what Nexus? what is this <laughs> i didn't realize i was playing against an ezreal deck what is this um so it caught me off guard the first time but the second time it did not caught me catch me off guard and i was a little bit more successful against it, but I mean, it's definitely a strong deck. Grasp of the Undying can just ruin the game for it. Like, I will say, like, there's also that, like, five so, mana, three, seven or something. Like, yeah, the lifesteal that people are running. Yeah, it's a six mana, it's Soul Gorger, and oh, that's yeah, a, six a more, more recent uh, kind of tech as well. And you're usually trying to get yourself into a position where you can close out the game around where that's coming down because it can certainly be a problem for you. Um, but let's talk about some interesting ways to deal with those particular moments, right? Uh, this is another reason why you always try to save your removal because you can actually still play around both Grasp and Lifesteal by just burning your own units when they get targeted so that they don't get to gain the health. So if you swing in with two or three creatures and they block with a soul gorger and then you mystic shot your own, it's going to deal zero damage and they don't gain health there. Oh, Similarly, if they target something with grasp, then you can just mystic shot your own unit 
And that's actually in many ways an upgrade for you because Mystic Shot would have been worth two on the Nexus, but you're saving them from gaining three health. So you can use these in some really interesting and unique ways to ensure that your opponent doesn't get a chance to stabilize. And I, um, I really wish sometimes that the game had uh, the replay function built in because I actually, I, I know the person was frustrated. They landed a very early uh, uh, Radiant Guardian against me, mm, right? Yeah. Which is that 5-5, five, five, but it gets tough in lifesteal if something has died. And they went through three rounds of combat where they didn't gain any health because that's what I was doing. And just pinging away your just, own chump blockers. Just ping, yes, right? So like you swing in and they naturally go to block. And then same thing when they're attacking, you throw something in front and then you you nuke it. And it might feel like a waste, but the reality is, is that you are, you know, dealing five plus damage with a Mystic Shot at that point because you're preventing the five health they would have gained. So uh, don't be afraid to do that and look for those kinds of plays when you are playing against the control opponents because it makes a world of difference when you can pull that off. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. Interesting. So, really okay. fun deck. Yeah. Really so, fun. So tell us about <laughs> deck two. All right. So uh i don't remember which order they were in the video um oh, whatever just that, choose at random uh sure so deck number two we'll talk about the other like hyper aggressive list uh was actually not my list um i called it out in the video it's something that was created by a gentleman that's tag is kapata and it is uh piltover and zone and shadow isles and it's very similar in construction to the Noxus one. However, it uses is Shadow Isles to take advantage of uh, Prankster. So Prankster is a three cost zero three. Um, uh, it's Phantom Prankster. I was trying to remember the first part. Prankster, it's a zero uh, three for three. But whenever an allied uh, unit dies, you deal one damage to the enemy Noxus. Mm -hmm. And then you just use your early game Shadow Isles package to make sure a bunch of stuff is dying, right? It's pretty straightforward, but it's very effective. Uh, mm -hmm. This card also becomes incredibly effective with things like uh, the used Cask Salesman, for example, because now with a single Prankster on the board, uh, you get a 3-2 and you're dealing four to their Nexus. Um, you obviously, because you're running Shadow Isles, you're getting to run Glimpse. Glimpse is going to allow you to refill your hand with aggressive threats, but also deal extra damage because of the Pranksters. Uh, Prankster in aggressive mirrors is semi relevant because of the three health. So you can comfortably throw it in front of something that attacks for two. Oftentimes, uh, you got to pay attention to mana, right? You don't want them to have a combat trick and then kill your Prankster, but it can be a source of a buffer. And overall, it's just a really interesting package that is you know trying to accomplish the same thing but in a different way and i really I dig that list as well um it's also running elise so that you can generate spiders it does run the vile feast uh so you can generate spiders and then again you use the spiders as just kind of uh, uh ammo right to machine gun mm -hmm. with the phantom prankster and uh that that one that one was also really effective um i like to switch between the two just because it allows me to play the same style of deck, but gives me that variety so I don't feel like I'm just grinding on the same deck for hours and hours because, uh, you know, that, that can be a challenge at times. Yeah, and they play they play a little different, too. I mean, they, you, yeah, have the they same, definitely. you have the same idea, but but you're aggressive, but you're you're going to make very different decisions between those two decks. Very different decisions. Um, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, Phantom Prankster is one that, like, I've I've run into a lot. And I, I don't think it's ever something that I 
lose to like often. I feel like I've largely done well against those lists. Um, but I also think like that might just be a, you know, sort of a habit of me playing when I, before I discovered uh, the, uh, the aggro Piltover Noxus list, uh, I was just playing a lot of casual with Yasuo control and uh, I could just kind of upgrade Yasuo and then karate chop down the pranksters. <laughs> but, uh, but I, I will say there are those games where when they get them down on curve, it can just be, they can just run away with it because they never go to combat. Like you, you never take them to combat. You, you just let them sit back. And so either you're dealing with the things, uh, you know, as the other player, either you're dealing with the creatures um, that are actively lowering your life total. Uh, and if you kill them, you take more damage. Uh, or if, even if you're running like challengers, you know, you start going after the, uh, the pranksters and then leaving up those other creatures and then getting black speared and vile feasted. And, you know, it's just, Oh man, uh, it is a very neat dynamic and one that I, like I have a, I have some complaints about shadow isles overall when it comes to balance, but I do think thematically and flavor wise shadow isles is very fun, very engaging and, and just kind of cool design. And I think that prankster really speaks to that. So I'm actually, I might go try that one later tonight. Yeah. That's not a, that's not one I've run into too much. Uh, a couple of games, um it it the interesting the interesting thing with usually like at first it's like oh it's a damage who cares i'm not gonna worry about this thing and then they drop a second one you're like, eh, it's too damage it's annoying <laughs> and then it's like well they keep prolonging the game and keep prolonging the game mm -hmm. and keep pinging me pinging me pinging me and now i really need to get rid of them and i'm down to five health and then it's like ping, ping, boom and and you lose from that yeah, um, there's, there's a little there's bit more of a control trap. element to that deck than what mm -hmm. it can't it can sort of like shift to that right it can kind of shift to a, a match where it's like well i'm just going to keep these pranksters on the board and keep chump blocking you you're never going to get your damage through on me and i'm going to consistently put damage through to you so it can kind of shift to a little bit of like a what's a um, slow a controller type of style it, it's in, it's interesting because it seems adaptive that being said if someone can take care of your pranksters there's not a ton of ways that you're going to come back from that um uh, if if people have ways to to deal with them, from my experience, but um, yeah, uh, it's another great deck. So two aggressive decks. What's your what's your third deck, Charmer? Uh, the third one is probably the one that I like playing against the least, um, but it is performing well, so it made it on to the video. And that's the uh, Frozen Ezreal, Frost Ezreal, Esnux. That I, mm, it's named mm -hmm. a bunch of different things, but it's basically Freljord and Piltover and Zahn and its control it plays very similar to like Freeze Mage from Hearthstone if you're familiar with that deck list sure. uh, the uh, idea is to just stall the game out until you get a leveled up Ezreal and then you're also trying to get chip damage in uh, usually your chip damage comes from uh, either the Chumpwump or from the Elnux and then you get to a point where you play Ezreal and then you just do a bunch of burst spells that are all cheap in a row and or spells like Mystic Shot and get excited that can target the Nexus and then you just win in one turn. It's like a combo deck. Now, you don't have to win with Ezreal. It can certainly steal wins if you don't find Ezreal, but Ezreal kind of makes it an inevitability. Like if you get to round eight or nine and they've leveled up an Ezreal, uh, you're going to hit the point where they can play Ezreal and then just win before you even get to do anything. So um, 
mostly the reason that I'm annoyed when I play against that list is because it does still uh, run the Elnuk package. Like the deck by itself could be competitive without Elnuk's. It's certainly mm -hmm. capable of stalling and getting the job done, but there's nothing more frustrating than the high ceiling, the high reward that the Elnuk package currently offers. Um, I, I have some issues with the way that card currently works design-wise, and uh, it can be very backbreaking when you're playing an aggressive list or even just a mid-range list and your opponent... You know, when you play something like Wraith Caller for four, and you get, you know, your 4-3, and you get your Mist Wraith that might be, you know, a 2-2, two -two, or if things have went well by then, maybe it's as much as a 4-2, you feel really good, right? You sacrificed yep. in deck building because you're running almost all Shadow Isles cards to pull this off, but you land it on curve, you get a lot of stats, and you're feeling pretty good about yourself. And then you go to the next round, and your opponent pays five for a troop, and you know, they high roll and they get three extra Elnux and all of a sudden you're like, well, they, they sacrificed six deck spots and they just won the game outright because of uh, the high ceiling, right? It's um, it, it's a frustrating experience and I, I really hope they adjust the Elnux package to just bring the ceiling down. Um, I think that the average result is fine. I think that it's it's really good in a list like that because that's also a list that runs Rummage. So uh, a lot of the... You know, the, the talk about uh, the drawbacks to the Alnux is like, well, what if you draw a bunch early? Well, then you just rummage them away with that list. Like, it's not the end of the world. That list actually can mitigate it very well. Um, but for, from a design standpoint, um, it, if you don't know who I am, I'm very pro uh, RNG in card games. I know that that is not the uh, thing that a lot of people admit to. Um, but the reality is, is that randomness and variance is the reason we play card games. We want every game to play out a bit different. And the 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 truth is, is that's actually where player skill shines, right? A new scenario pops up. You're forced to uh, adapt to the new scenario. Uh, do the math in your head. Think about what your opponent may or may not have and then make the best educated decision you can. And you create those uh, unknowns through variance. So the trick is, is to create uh, unknowns or create variants or randomness that is low impact but happens often in card games and you want it to be low impact because you want that you want there to be some sort of uh, stakes involved but you don't want it to be game deciding uh, at every moment you want it to come up you know uh, 10 or 20 times throughout the course of a game so that the person who uh, plays the best the person who predicts the best and adapts the best is the the victor uh, a card like this where it's happening so early in the game on round five, and it has such a high ceiling where it can potentially just win the game on its own is the bad kind of RNG. It's bad design. Um, the best way that I can like throw the analogy is, is the kind of RNG you don't want in a game is a coin flip where I win or I lose, right? Mm -hmm. that's, that's big impact, single outcome. Um, but if you say like, hey, you know, we're going to flip a coin, you know, 15 times and each time you guess you earn a point or whatever, and it's throughout the course of a game, like that's that's a bit more in line with what you want. Uh, this Elnuk thing, the the floor is very low, right? Like the floor is you pay five and you get a three three like that's that's the worst. And that that does suck comparatively. But the ceiling is so high that it does not like match the investment both deck building wise and mana investment wise and timing wise of the game sure so i mean I know it, I'm it's, going... 
it's between five mana, you get a three, three and literally five mana, you get three, three, threes and three, four, fives. Yeah. Like, like it could be that intense. Like that's the, that's the. And, and people will talk about, you know, uh, you know, confirmation bias and you only remember when it gets high rolled and whatever. But like two nights ago on stream, I played against the deck four times and all four times they got uh, two extra bodies on it. Right. So it was a five mana, get three bodies four four out of four times I played against it. Um, and even and again, even if it only happens like two percent of the time that the high roll happens, that's. That's still two out of every hundred games that somebody basically didn't play a game, right? Like my biggest criticism of Magic is always the land system because you can ha basically have games where there wasn't a game. Like one person just didn't get to play the game because of, of bad design and bad mechanics. And that's kind of the closest thing in this game, right? Like I'm not saying the Elnucks are equivalent to Mana Screw and it's certainly not as often or as prevalent, uh, but you can have games where somebody just didn't get to play the game because of this and i just don't i don't feel like there's a a place for that sort of thing right and it feels weird because like i, I don't want it to be something that people go well it's a card game so you should expect that because you know this is also a riot game right and riot likes to pride themselves on competition and uh, you know i can't imagine what the league of legends forums would be like if you know every time karthas used his alt sometimes you know uh, he did a little bit less damage. Most of the time he does the normal damage, but like 2% of the time he just auto kills the team regardless of their health. Like people would lose their mind. Sure. If that happened at like the LCS on a pro stage, people would flip out. And if this Elnux thing happens, you know, when we eventually do get tournament, tournaments, and I hope that we do, if that happened like in the finals somewhere and somebody on, you know, round five drops a troop and they, they get a bunch, um, it, it would be... It would be as bad as any Yog Sauron that occurred in Hearthstone that people complained about. So um, that's me complaining about this deck. But but it's as strong. I said before, it's strong and it was performing. So I, I included it uh, in my video. And I think that it's strong even without the Elnux. Like whatever they decide to do with those, um, and I, I do think some adjustment will eventually come, uh, the deck is still good enough. So uh, if you enjoy control decks and you really enjoyed like freeze mage and hearthstone i would highly recommend that list yeah sure dbn you got anything uh, about this list no i mean i i i mostly agree with with what you said about rng um i totally agree with about the elnux um that's a problem uh, i will say like i think just to push back on the idea that like you have to have some rng I mean, I think card games by nature, like you're right, we do play them because they're not the same game every time. And that's because the entire basis of a card game is draw variance, right? You, you immediately have the whole, like what you draw and in what order and at what time the game is randomized, right? Um, but I mean, I, I think my current favorite card game that's still being printed, um, <laughs> uh, Legend of the Five Rings has like i mean that's a physical card game of course and so as we know like there's less rng in a lot of the physical card games based on the limitations and i'm not even saying that i don't like rng but i do think from a competitive integrity standpoint like like legend the legend of the five rings the way it compensates this idea of player skill shining through because i i think i get what you're saying like if every play is obvious then skill isn't as big of a factor right sure yeah um but like i think that having you run this balance and i think like Mythgard has been criticized in many ways for this too 
this idea of like making the game more complex and giving you more decision trees, right? And so like one of the things I think Legend of the Five Rings is really good about, and I'm sorry, I, I know you probably don't have context for this and I'm going to try not to get specific, but basically like at every point in the game, you have these complex decisions. I'm going to make a conflict. Is it going to be this type or this other type? Am I going to go at one of their four locations? And which characters am I taking to that conflict? And so like having those like layers of options instead of I'm a, I'm attack. It's my time to attack. Do I assign one person or two persons? Like, I think that there is a place for having less RNG that it makes it very compelling and still kind of showcase that skill. Obviously, I, I think, I think Runeterra in, and it's probably a good thing Runeterra isn't as complex as Legend of the Five Rings because it probably wouldn't do as well. It's not as marketable. Yeah. Um, but I, I just kind of wanted to throw out that, that thought that I think like the, flip side to having that kind of rng rng seems like almost like a shortcut for that idea of how to incorporate player skill in a game where sometimes plays are obvious that idea of anticipation hedging bets understanding the different roles on things like i think that that is you know a shorthand for what you would get in a more complex you know kind of multifaceted game oh absolutely the the difference though is that um i i would wager i have no studies to back this up and i fully acknowledge that but i would wager <laughs> that the more complex a game gets the smaller the player base gets oh yes oh yeah right yeah, true it's true. So, true totally true so from from a uh you know a marketability and accessibility standpoint um you know i've just over the years i used to be very anti like any rng and i'm now uh as the years have moved on and the more the more I've kind of like studied uh, design, I've had some great talks with uh, Paul, a.k.a. Maricon um, and, uh, you know, Peter Gennaros and some other designers that I, you know, I, I really value and appreciate their opinion. I, I see how it can be used as a tool. And I really like to, you know, he catches a lot of crap now for Artifact and whatever. But the reality is like Garfield's designed a lot of great games as well. And the way that he utilizes RNG to kind of create those opportunities as well the way he uses variants i just i've grown to appreciate it and understand that it it doesn't have to be a negative it just has to be wielded properly and so um for a game like runeterra i do think that you know it likely needs to have some but i i prefer you know i i prefer it when it's um you know, smaller windows, right? So the crimson unit that when it survives damage, it creates a, a random crimson mm -hmm. unit in your hand, I think is a great Curated. example, right? Because we talked you, about that last you, week. You know, you know what the outcomes are. Um, when you're talking about like Hearthstone, I think cards like Ysera are a good uh, option. Elder Scrolls Legends, it'd be like Blood Magic Lord, where you know yeah. the expected outcomes, but they are, you know, they're, they're small enough to play in a round for both players, but still... Mm -hmm you know, just enough where they're going to create different lines of play based on the card that you end up getting as a result of it. As opposed um, to Mud Crab Merchant. <laughs> yeah, so I, I I appreciate like those levels of things and I think that that kind of stuff has room uh, to exist in Runeterra, but I think, you know, again, like with the Elnex, you can say, well, it's based on, you know, the supporters of Elnex say, well, it's just based on uh, deck RNG, right? It's no different than card draw because it's actually just, you know, you adjust it by deck building and it goes by you know stuff that's in your deck and i i hear those people and i understand but um the 
the level of randomness isn't always the problem with RNG. It's also the outcome, right? It's also the impact. And again, it's that uh, the ceiling is just way too high for the card. Yeah. And that's mm -hmm. that's really all it comes down to. So, so I've played this as real deck. Oh, you have something good. Good. Yeah. All I was gonna say is, yeah, it's better to have a game that is still alive uh, awesome. than a complex game that's, <laughs> that's uh, that's not in print anymore. So yeah. <laughs> so I was gonna say this deck does play a lot like Freeze Mage. A. Um, B. I've not played the one with the Elmex in it, and uh, I'm okay with that. Um, I do think that Elmex are a problem, and I do think that they're going to see an adjustment, just the the one that summons things off the top of the deck, and that just makes complete sense to me. I don't think any card game wants games to be ended on turn five because someone got abnormally lucky. Um, and when it comes to complexity, I want my game to be complex enough that it makes me come back, but not so complex that it goes into maintenance mode. Um, and so, <laughs> and it, listen, like Le Legends was, you know, Elder Scrolls Legends, in my opinion, wasn't so complex that it needed to go to maintenance mode. That's another That's story. That's not why it's in maintenance That's mode. another story <laughs> for another day. Um, but, uh, but yes, I, but that is why I have not gotten into a couple of other card games that I've looked at instead. I think that I could enjoy this, but I think this is going to be so complex or, or that it's not going to draw a big enough player base for this game to exist for the level of investment that I want to put in a card game. And Hearthstone is a great example of a game that did not, and I played it for a long time, that was not complex enough to consistently keep my interest. Um, and I think Runeterra has really split that difference for me in a really, really good way. That it has been complex enough that it's kept my interest, but feels as though because of the intellectual property and the, and the accessibility that the game has, it feels like a game that's going to stick around for a very long time and be very successful. So I, I like those two things really, really do. But that is not just about, you know, that's a lot. That's a lot of philosophy behind the comments on one deck, but uh charmer, you got a fourth deck over there, right? That, uh, yeah, I, you highlighted. I, I got a, I got a four and a five, right? So, yeah. Uh, we'll talk about the other one that, you need to prepare for because it's very much uh, a meta deck. Um, elusives were adjusted in the last patch, and the big thing that was hit was inspiring mentor. So folks were naturally gravitating or gravitating, excuse me, uh, toward ways to still increase the health of your key units, and they've now decided to do that through uh, Freljord. So the Zed elusives list was another deck that I included. And this is mostly Ionia. Um, this is another list that was not mine. Uh, this uh, particular list I got from a player by the name of Sixo. Uh, they are a Hearthstone pro. They were in the uh, artifact tournaments that I casted for Wii Play. Uh, Sixo basically took a heavy Ionia package and they were trying to utilize Kinku uh, Wayfinder. So that's the one that when it triggers its allegiance, it pulls two one drops mm -hmm. from your deck. And then it utilizes Omenhawks. Um, Omenhawks, and it utilizes yeah. the 2-1 that when it's summoned also gains Elusive. So uh, on 4, you can get a lot of value from that. The Omenhawks are the way that you try to still buff the health of your units. It's very critical on, say, like a Zed to get outside of Mystic Shot range when you're playing it on Curve. Um, the deck also benefited, even though Elusives were nerfed, they decided to buff some other cards in Ionia, and one of them was Jeweled Protector. And that card is now amazing uh the buff that it got was it got plus one attack and plus one health so it used to be a three three that gave plus three plus three 
it's now for five a four four that still gives plus three plus three and while that might seem incredibly minor it's actually massive and the reason for that is that there are a large number of units in the meta right now that have exactly three attack uh, specifically a lot of the fearsome units have mm -hmm. three or less attack and by going to four health you can now pretty safely play jeweled protector on five buff a key unit in your hand something like the life blade and then also be able to block something and survive so that is a pretty big and important trade-off by also going to four attack it's just more threatening um, it gets it to the point where it is trading with um, a, a lot of other units but it also gets uh, this is something that i think gets missed from time to time right but being able to deal four or more damage to a Hecarim when you're blocking is pretty important because uh, there's a large number of ways to deal two damage to things in the game. So getting that initial four on like a Hecarim when you're playing against those Shadow Isles, like mid-range decks is pretty important. Um, but yeah, overall, like the Protector is just insane. And the fact that you can now bounce it with Conspirator and keep getting that value is uh, just absurd. And playing it on Lifeblade, as I said, making that become a 5-5 that has Elusive and lifesteal is pretty bonkers um so you just you need to be prepared for that list it's very popular in the meta um the only i talk about most of my lists having like one to three flex spots the only real flex i ever make with that is when i'm running into a bunch of the karma lists that try to win with harrowing um mm -hmm. i will go from three will of ionias and one deny to splitting those two and two just to make sure i've got a deny ready for when they play harrowing but otherwise that list is very fine-tuned there's not a lot of room to budge in it it's but it's good it's very very mm -hmm. powerful it performs well so hmm. yeah uh, i played against this one uh, a couple of times and one of the times they played jeweled protector which buffed a jeweled protector into a jeweled protector which buffed a life blade so i had a four four a seven seven and then a five five life blade and i gave up and it was really strong. <laughs> it, was really, it is. It is really strong. I thought Jeweled Protector was garbage, and I thought it continued to be garbage with the buff. And I, and I was wrong. It's not garbage. It's pretty. Aha, it's pretty strong. I thought it was better. Yeah, yeah, you did. Yeah, I, I didn't think it was great, and I still didn't think it was great. <laughs> and even if I didn't verbalize that, it was certainly in my brain. Um, yeah. But, uh, but DBN, you did. You were, you were on. You were on with this card. You, you liked it a lot. So uh, I've never, I've never gotten on the elusives train because I just haven't gotten done loving Shadow Isles yet. To be honest with you, like, just never. I've just not stopped loving Hecarim. I don't know if that makes me a, a good person or a bad person, no, but dude. I never no, shifted to that. That's, that's fine. After we talk about the last uh, deck list. I will talk about, there's one that I'm dying to play, but I just don't have the cards for it yet that I think is very well positioned in the meta. So after we talk about the fifth one from my video, I'll give you guys a, a bonus insight to something mm, that yes. I think could be very, very good right now. Okay. DBN, anything to, to add about the elusives other than, yep, they're good? Yep, they're good. Okay, okay. <laughs> the fifth deck then. What's the fifth deck yeah, so you got the, here The fifth us? deck is my hot pile. It's the one that, uh just keeps winning and i don't understand it it's actually kind of coming around to be decent just because i've seen a, a rise in the noxus spider list uh again mm -hmm. recently uh when i originally built the deck that was the the deck that i was trying to counter so this fifth deck is demacia and shadow isles and it's meant to be kind of like mid-range controlish. it's definitely a late game list but it doesn't have big powerful game ending plays like harrowing um, it doesn't have big combos like the Ezreal list, but what it does is it 
takes over the board usually between rounds like five and eight uh, very effectively, and it has a lot of ways to stabilize. So this is a list that's running stuff like Withering Whale, Grasp of the Undying. It's definitely running uh, three copies of the Radiant Guardian, which is a great mm -hmm. source of lifesteal. Your early game, you're dictating through great challenger units. Um, you know, you've got the Fleet Feather, you've got the Protege, it's running three copies of Fiora. Uh, Fiora, you can sometimes steal a win with her just based on her ability, but the reality, you're running her just because she's a 3-3 challenger. Um, and the nice thing about her is when people see Fiora, they panic and they like overspend removal on her. So she's also great bait. Guilty. Um, but the reality <laughs> is, is like she's not the part of the point of the deck. Uh, this is very much just a... Um, you're you're trying to control the game until you can stabilize and you do that with uh, your big lifesteal units so it's running two soul gorgers at the moment it's running three copies of the radiant guardian um, and the deck also runs three copies of judgment and judgment is uh, a card that i thought was very good before the most recent patch um, i was kind of like saying hey more people should be playing judgment hey this swings games in a massive way uh, hyped from Team Liquid, when he hit Master before the patch, he was running a Judgment-based uh, control deck. He was playing Demacia and Ionia, um, but it, it was the same premise, right? Like he was playing Judgment on big lifesteal units, and that's what this deck is trying to do. So if you use your Judgment on a Soul Gorger or on uh, something like Radiant Guardian, uh, you're usually wiping the board. Uh, so you're like sweeping their side of the board and your stays alive, but you're also gaining a ton of health because lifesteal will trigger off of judgment. So you can reset yourself basically back to 20, wipe their board, and then you're in the driver's seat and you can push from there. Um, if you need like a burst finisher, it does run the Ledros uh, atrocity combo. That's oftentimes your game plan against other control decks. Uh, you just have to bait their mana out so they can't disrupt it. Uh, just because deny is gone from the meta, it does not mean that they still can't disrupt your judgment that does not mean they still can't disrupt your atrocity because whatever unit you target with, if they've got their own removal, they'll just target the unit and then the sure. spell fizzles. So you got to be smart when piloting the deck, but it's very effective. It's got big, powerful swings. Um, another neat trick that the deck can sometimes pull off is, uh, well, so it can steal wins with Fiora, right? So Fiora with Judgment, if you're on a, a bunch of units, then... If you hit four or more with her, she just wins the game. But the other big thing is uh, typically judgment-based decks are bad against elusives because smart players will start only attacking with elusives and then you never get to get a blocker in to play your judgment. So my list is running uh, multiple copies of Purify because that's your, your like counter surprise, right? Mm -hmm. You can Purify an elusive unit and because it's burst speed, you can then assign your blocker and that gets you into combat, and then you hit them all with the judgment. So you can still, uh, you know, get yourself an out, get uh, that effective play against elusives with the list. Uh, like I said, when I when I look at it, every time I look at it, I go like, I don't know why this keeps winning, even though I'm the mm -hmm. one who built it. Like I know why I designed the list the way that I did, but every time I look at it, I'm like, this this shouldn't win, but it keeps winning. So, um, sure. I mean, when you fun. got judgment, uh, purify. Uh, Fiora and uh, and Ledros all in the same deck. It, it really is. It sounds like the kitchen sink. Yeah, it, mean... it really is. I mean, <laughs> like you look at it, you look at it, and you just go like, I don't know what it's trying to do. Um, but I mean, really, all it's trying to do is fight for the board. It's just it's very effective at giving you like big splashy plays, and uh, sometimes that's just enough. 
right? So yeah, that's cool. I, I've not messed around with Judgment much. Um, once again, playing a lot of Shadow Isles, so uh, haven't haven't strayed into Demacia uh, very often, with the exception of trying to make Lucian work. Um, and this is certainly a deck that I've not seen on the ladder yet. Uh, I haven't. Yeah, I mean, why? Yeah, I why would you? I, yeah. I haven't. I haven't ran into any mirrors of it either. But, um, <laughs> well, no, we I might now. When I play it, it, it works. So, like, I I keep doing it. I don't know if it's just working because it catches people off guard or or what. But it's now I, it's effective. What now? What about this? Like, perhaps? I mean, it, I haven't played it. It could just be amazing and brilliant. But I think there's also something to be said that I kind of discovered here about like decks fitting your personal play style like i found a mm -hmm. lot of success with yasuo control and like I, I feel like i can't lose with it you know what i mean but i think that's I just mean, because it's the exact play style that i play in every game i just feel super comfortable on it now do you think yeah it, play, do you think that might be a factor yeah, I mean, certainly playstyle matters for sure. We all have decks that we jive with and decks that we don't. Like, I understand and I recognize the power of Heimerdinger decks, for example. But like, I'm just garbage at piloting them because it's not <laughs> really my playstyle. Like, and I and I accept that. So playstyle definitely matters. I feel comfortable with this list. Um, you know, it, it's possible. It's good. I just always hesitate whenever I personally like brew something. I'm I'm never the person that wants to put like my own big stamp of approval, right? Sure. Yeah. If somebody else wants to do it, then then fine. And I have no problem with looking at other people's <laughs> decks and going, yep, this is very good. You know, you, you should consider playing this. But whenever it's whenever it's like just me and I don't see anybody else doing it, but I keep winning with it, I you I always hesitate. Wondering. Right? Like yeah. <laughs> that, that's that's why, you know, in the other in the Elder Scrolls Legends, for example, um when I had come up with time to fight. Like I performed very well with it. I, I actually, the very first time I ever debuted it was in a community tournament and I made it all the way to the finals of that tournament. And I was, I was beating meta decks like in the tournament with it. And even after that, not only did I say like, eh, I don't know how I feel about it, but just about like every prominent competitive player at the time all said like that deck's garbage, <laughs> but then I kept winning with it. And then um, a few people were doing well on the ladder. And then there was uh, one gentleman who, um, he hit legend. So like we had a monthly reset and he hit legend in like just a couple hours piloting time to fight. Like he only played, I don't know, it was like 30 or 40 games total to hit hit legend with it. And so it started to gain, gain steam. But I again, like even though I did really well in a tournament with it, like I just didn't feel confident enough to put my own seal of approval. So I always leave that up to other people. Mm -hmm. Yeah, sure. I mean, I think well, and I think it's also like. Like when you look at a, any deck, I think it's a deck is only as official as the number of people playing it in a weird way. Like, but that doesn't mean that the power level is different. Like, I, I don't know. I'm at this point, like I can look at decks and be like, yeah, this deck sucks. But I also can look at decks and be like, oh yeah, I can totally see all the ways in which this could be great. Right. It doesn't, doesn't mean those circumstances will always be exploited or it also doesn't mean that those circumstances, if they're not currently available, won't be available later. You know what I mean? Right. Like you can look at a deck and be like, this would be amazing if there wasn't these three other decks running around. Sure. You know, and, and like, I mean, because I, I do think like we talk about meta and we tried not to talk about meta 
Mark and I do anyways, uh, you know, because it shifts because, you know, it, well, it shifts very rapidly in this game too. It's still, it does. Forming. And I, and I think that there's something really nice about that, which, yeah, there's like these, there's top decks right now. There are decks that are just the best, but I will say I've been impressed with the longevity of this core set. And maybe it's the balance patch they did helped or didn't help. I don't know. But the bottom line is I've been impressed with the fact that like I'm still seeing new decks that I'm looking at and saying, no, this this could work like this. This this might be a thing. You know, it yeah. might not be there yet. But yeah. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, you guys hit the nail on the head with the meta has been shifting very rapidly. And I think that that is true because it's very streaky. Kind of depends on what you're running into that night. That's why I try to build decks that have flex options. Right now, when you're trying to target the meta, so this is a great time to transition, right? When you're trying to target the meta, what you're really trying to target are, what am I seeing lately? But then also, what are things that I know are both powerful and popular? So that even if a new deck archetype pops up, it's still likely to include these things. Like Elnux is a great example, right? Elnux is both powerful and popular right now. And yes, you expect it in Ezreal. But the other night, like I ran into people that were playing it in Shadow Isles. They're basically playing Mist Wraiths, but their six card splash was Freljord instead so that they could go, you know, Wraith Caller on four into Elnux on five. And then they're just guaranteed to have the biggest board on the planet. Um, it's it's a same, uh, you know, package that was in other decks, but just in a, in a new combination, yeah. a new way. So when you're trying to target the meta, you're trying to think like, what are the threats I know I'm going to have to worry about one way or another? Hecarim's another great example. doesn't matter what Shadow Isles deck it, it is, like, or you're building, you're probably at least considering Hecarim, whether it makes the final build or not, because he's just incredibly efficient right now. So one of the decks that was kind of popular before the patch, um, it's fallen in popularity, but I don't think it's necessarily fallen in popular, uh, power level, excuse me, is the Noxus and Freljord kind of Ash-based mid-range list. I like to call it the Freljord Fives Mm -hmm. because you're building a deck that's kind of based around a lot of units that have five attack power or more. And then you're also building uh, like Frostbite effects. Mm -hmm. So I think that that deck has a lot of room to be very good right now, but specifically with the addition of Reckoning. I think Reckoning is a criminally underplayed card in the current meta totally agree criminally so if you're listening and you're saying like i don't even know what that is uh reckoning is a six cost slow spell in noxus but it reads if you control a creature a unit that has five attack power or more then you destroy all units with four or less attack power yeah it's crazy and when you think about uh, one, if you're playing this uh, Freljord and Noxus list, how many five attack power units you could be running, whether it's Ash, the 5-1 Challenger. Uh, if you're heavy Noxus, you can run the 3-2 that gets plus two plus zero if you have a Noxus unit. Um, yeah, Freljord can run the 5-5 five, five that buffs everything yep. in your deck. Yep, I was going to say Avaros and Hearthguard. And then if you're running Hearthguard and Noxus, you're probably running Trifarian Assessor because it's a great source of card draw. Like the, being able to pay for to like draw two or three cards on a body is pretty huge, right? So there's all these natural activators for reckoning already. And then when you go a step further and you think about all of the things that reckoning destroys in the meta right now, it destroys all unbuffed Elnux. It destroys 
all unbuffed fearsome units running around. It destroys even Mistwraiths until the third one comes down. It destroys Hecarim. And even more importantly, it destroys both Hecarim and Rekindler because that's the uh, the big power package in Shadow Isles midrange right now is that you're not just like stuck having to deal with Hecarim, who's normally a pain because of his six health and he's very resilient. But the minute you spend one to two cards just dealing with Hecarim, they play Rekindler and now they get a 4-4 in their Hecarim back, right? Reckoning clears all of those. And all so, elusives, basically. It it hits a bunch of basically every elusive kills up, until, uh, up until they start hitting the uh, jeweled protector phase yeah. of the game. That's that's where you have to start utilizing your frostbite effects in that list. Um, but it also deals with the elusive turrets that Heimerdinger creates because those are the most important turrets to kill in that matchup. Like all the things that Reckoning hits. Now it does have some drawbacks, right? It is a slow spell, and you do have to have something on the board, but. At six for a board sweeper, it's pretty under-costed. If you have full bank spell mana, that's only a three-cost spell. And in an kind of aggressive mid-rangey list like this anyway, they're not likely to uh, hold back their mana. Uh, I think right now anyway, you're, you're not planning uh, for the Reckoning. I think that it's very well positioned. Um, even if they are trying to play around it, I think that you can still land it or at least force them to answer it. And uh, again, it even if... You're not trying to target, quote unquote, the meta. When you just think of all the powerful cards that are very common, very popular right now that this uh, card deals with, it is criminally underplayed, in my opinion, right now. Reckoning is uh, in a great spot right now. So is that yeah. the deck that you was kind of like on the horizon for you as a deck? that you? Yeah, were... I just don't own the ashes. So um, I need to do some expeditions this week because I have a bunch of tokens stored up. And I'm I'm going to craft the ashes and then I'm going to take it for a spin because I think, like I said, it was uh, already kind of uh, popular before the last patch. I think that it's fine in terms of power level. And I think that if you if you tech in the reckonings, I think uh, you can get some blowout wins. Reckoning is devastating uh, against a lot of the lists that you're running into on the ladder right now. So what does it run? Is it just ash? Is there another champion that it runs in the deck? Uh, traditionally it's just ash yeah okay well you got to send me the list for this because i have a couple of ashes and a couple of champion wild cards so i am going to take it down on the top of the silver rank and trash some folks that's <laughs> that sounds really that sounds really really good to me i i got reckoning played against me for the first time in expedition uh yesterday and i was like what is this card uh, here's the other <laughs> card that i didn't know exists the uh the the pnz that swaps your character and turns it into another one that's on the board um and i didn't oh, even yeah. know that was a, i had literally i was like what is this card i've never seen this card i'm still discovering cards literally had no idea that was a card in the game and um it 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 efficiently ruined my day so yeah it was i mean i'm sure it's not a great card but in arena it wasn't bad uh in expedition wasn't bad yeah you want to talk about what's uh really good in expedition it's still elnux yeah <laughs> i know you don't, you don't have a, you don't have the uh three copy limit and so i'm just throwing that out there if there if there's ever a reason for Elnex to be adjusted, even if you're like, it's fine and, and constructed, even if you think that the ceiling isn't egregious, like it needs to have some sort of adjustment for expeditions because I've seen people like personally on Discord send me screenshots of decks where they have like 13 Elnex and expeditions. <laughs> oh, so yeah, it's like, it just I, keeps hit, giving I you more. turn five and I just blow it. I just win. Like it's insane. <laughs> just win. 
Oh, man. Oh, so, Charmer, we had some questions that came in over the Discord that, uh, you know, we could we, we could be quick with them. I don't know how long you have, but we've taken up a, an hour and a half of your time already. Uh, and I know that you're a dad and um, and and you have a job and all of those things. So um, so real quickly here, what guardian do you like best? Right now, stock Poro. OK, it's the one that you get. I think that the, the Poro is uh, adorable. It's iconic. Uh, I'm an owner of three pugs. It's the closest thing to a pug in the game. I'm also uh, both intrigued by and entirely creeped out. Uh, by the fact that they have human teeth. I don't mm. know if you know that about Poros. If you click on them enough, they'll either like growl at you or they will raspberry or yawn, but they have human teeth. So <laughs> Interesting. That, that's, uh, that's a fun fact there. Uh, if I had to pick one of the paid ones, uh, I think that it's probably the new Silverwing. I think that, that one's actually pretty cool. I mean, T-Hex is, is adorable because it's a little dinosaur, but I really like the new Silverwing as far as the paid options go. Okay, okay. Uh, what feature uh, do you want most? Spectator mode. Yeah. And the second second place honorable mention would be spectator mode. And if I had to pick one other one, it would be spectator mode. Oh, all three <laughs> of those. <laughs> the only thing holding back third party tournaments. Uh, I cannot wait to cast events. I cannot wait to be a part of events. I am in love with the game. Uh, and I knew that I would be. Like I said, when I started streaming, it was because I wanted to meet friends to play League of Legends. Uh, my my charmer gamer tag comes from me when I was in RE main. Like I'm literally named Charmer because of this damn IP. So, um, like I I love card games and I I love Rune Terra like as a universe in the lore and I I want to cast events and so just give it to me, mm. righto already. Like spectate mode, give it, do it. Uh, what champion is the yeah. best, uh, Timo or Timo? Oh, that is a good question. Um, I think, and I, I'm going to deviate here. I know you didn't list it as an option. However, I'm a big advocate for the Scouts code, right? So I think it's Teemo. I think that you need to give the old <laughs> hut two, three, four, okay? Because I'm reporting for duty. Perfect. Perfect. The, the, only, the only issue with Teemo is that he blows mm. his blowgun. Yes, And he does. some people find that annoying. But Yeah. Mm-hmm. Perfect. Uh, which Poro, which would be the, the, I think, well, anyone that's a card is your favorite. And DBN, you and I are going to answer this one too. So for me, it's the, the fluffed, right? Um, but technically that one doesn't have its own card. It's created by Heart of the Fluffed. So like if I have to pick one that's a card, it's the Sinister Poro because it looks like a crazy mad scientist on the top of the mountain. Um, but like if you... If you count the fluff that's created, it's fluffed of Poros because it looks like the giant ball of critters that gets created in the movie Critters 3. And if you haven't seen Critters 3, do yourself a favor and go watch a really bad B-horror movie. Mm, there you go. Uh, do, you, do you have a favorite Poro? No. Oh. Poros are dumb. Wow. All right. I'm well, that kidding. was it for They're me totally on this not. podcast. <laughs> They're totally not. It's, I know. Uh, I, I, sorry. I knew I'd piss someone off with that. Uh, no, I actually like the Plucky Poro. Uh, I think it's uh, that that's one? the one with the Demacia, which I don't play Demacia, but I just love the uh, the helmet that is its entire body. Yeah, okay. <laughs> the oversized helmet has the sword, uh, it's and he's the got top. the mustache, which works really well, and uh, with the look, they, and they all have mustaches. Believe it or not, like if you actually yeah. look, they all have mustaches. They're just but different. Like, 
it works so well with the with the knightly helm and everything. It's oh, it's it's oh, it's beautiful. Also, because I saw somebody doing a um, like a self damage uh, build using the plucky poros as like, oh, I'm gonna use that uh, crimson aristocrat damage my guy by one and then get a plucky poro with three one and tough. It, I don't know. It just looked fun and goofy. Uh, so it already works with my favorite archetype. So Plucky Poro is the one for me. His entire uh, body is a helmet. <laughs> Mine is whichever one is the Karate Kid Poro. Uh, um, oh, well, yeah, that's the, the, strike. the Nimble Poro. Yeah, I call Nimble that Poro? the Kung Fu Poro. Because yes. he looks like Kung Fu Panda. Uh-huh. Kind of. He yes. does. Like that's him. it. <laughs> I like. Yeah, I call him. that one the Kung Fu Poro. Okay. Last question for you, Charmer, is this. Um, what is your most wanted champion to be added to the game? Ari, for obvious reasons, uh, with a close second being Malzahar. I adore Malzahar. Uh, Malzahar is actually the reason I stopped playing Ari mid because I fell in love with Malzahar. But like, I, I have to say Ari just because then I can be an Ari main once again. But uh, I really want a Malzahar and I really want as a guardian one of malzahar's voidlings to be an option as well oh, so yeah, like the cool. minute minute you give me a voidling guardian and a, a malzahar as a champion like i'm i'm all in on that okay okay interesting um mine i i know like ian i know that you don't play much uh or haven't played much league of legends mine is kindred um that's the one that i that's the that's the champ that i would love to see come to the game just because i've i've always thought kindred is sick um so I'd, I'd so love to see some kindred. So you're you're not gonna ask me what Dota two hero I no. want to come to <laughs> Legends of Runeterra? No. no, I'm not gonna ask no. you. Oh, that. Okay. I don't All want right. to know that. All right. Okay. Oh, hacks, uh, hacks, hacks. Uh, uh, <laughs> so I said good day, sir. <laughs> I need to invest in Axe Coin once again. <laughs> so Charmer, before we get ready to sign off here, and we thank you for coming on the show, I try to share. Kind of a closing thought, because I, I think if you listen to an hour and 30 or hour and 40 minutes of this, um, we should add some more value to your life than just card game play. And I thought I was already perfect. So, okay, so here here it is. I uh, was sitting down and talking with the mentor today. I'm going to tell a quick story, and it's probably one of the coolest, most powerful stories I've ever heard was talking with a mentor today and he told me that his brother was going to Vietnam. And of course we have the coronavirus going on right now. So there's some nervousness around that. And I asked, you know, why? And he said, um, my brother served in Vietnam and his brother's 68 now. He said when he was serving in Vietnam, they were taking fire uh, in the jungle and uh, hit the ground and um, bullets flying all across, but they didn't get hit. Um, they snuck up to a local uh, village and saw an older man and a younger man hiding and moving to a bunker where they threw grenades in, killed both of the men in the bunker, um, and then went in and took wedding rings and different things. And this is a horrible start to the story. Wedding rings and different things off of these men's body and took them home with them after the war. And he kept them for over 30 years um, and could not live with himself and um, called up his brother and said, I want to return these wedding rings and these things that belong to these men. Um, that I had killed during the war and um, literally called the embassy um, that dealt with Vietnam and uh, they helped him find the family and he sent them back to them. And he began getting letters from this family and uh, thanking him. And he began writing back and forth with a woman 
um, that uh, had written him a letter from Vietnam and began to grow feelings for this woman. This is not that long ago. It was later in his life. Began to develop feelings for this woman and uh, ended up flying to Vietnam to visit with her. Um, and upon arriving in Vietnam, and whether he knew this beforehand or upon arriving, I'm not sure, um, the two individuals that he and, and his comrade had killed um, was this woman's father um, and brother and ended up going there and visiting them, going into the mountains and sitting with their family, um, sitting around uh, the, the, in Vietnam. They sit um, on the ground mostly for meals, sitting on the meal and, and sitting in the room with the, the older man's wife. Um, who was now a widow and um, brother, and the older man's brother, and was asked to retell the story of how these two individuals had died. He retells the story of this family, and the family who's kind of like shocked and horrified, um, the patriarch of the family, which was this guy's brother, um, quickly says, uh, and this is, this is like, this is insane to me, like absolutely insane, um, says, no, it was war. We did terrible things and they did terrible things. What we must do is forgive. And after this, this man actually is married to the woman who he went over there and met. She lives in the States with him now. And, and they were flying back to Vietnam because they were going to visit her family. They've been married for 12 or 14 years now. Um, but it is this absolutely wild, insane story of, of the human spirit, human perseverance and resilience, and also the power of forgiveness. Um, one of my other mentors frequently says uh, harboring unforgiveness is like drinking poison and expecting the other person to die. Um, and uh, I, I think that that's a really powerful testament. Um, and uh, as someone who has reaped the benefits of forgiving the people in my life, my encouragement to you who is a listener is if there's someone that you're not forgiving, begin working towards it. I'm not saying that you can forgive that person today. I'm not saying that you can walk away and forgive that person tomorrow or that this show will completely change your life. I'm just saying that forgiveness is a better way to live. And when we don't, it's a bitterness that builds up in us and rots us from the inside out. It will literally feels as if it's rotting your bones. And uh, my encouragement to you is if you have someone to forgive, whether that's a minor grievance or a major one, begin taking intentional steps today to work towards forgiveness. Um, not only is it powerful and positive, but you're capable of it. And so Hey, that's my that's my closing thought. I don't know, uh, Charmer or Ian, if, if either of you guys have any any comment to that. Um, it was just a crazy story that I heard today um, and uh, something that was just really, really powerful. It's going to stick with me for a long time. No, yeah, that, that's no, a, no, nothing, uh, nothing. Okay. No, no, that's that's a great. <laughs> I was just still thinking about it. <laughs> um, no, I, I, I agree. You know, I I've at different points in my life kind of not let things go. And it is one of those things that like, it, you know, you, you, every time you think about it, it just kind of stirs you up until eventually, you know, at a certain point you kind of just have to shrug and say, well, it didn't happen or it happened and there's nothing I can do about it. So why am I making myself feel worse? Like it has, I, I think it can also a little bit, whether it's a circumstance or a person or whatever, you know, it, it can also just, if not for that person, just do it for yourself because, you know, sure. You, you don't have to care about that person at all, it, it, but there is something of a self-satisfaction of being able to let something go. Uh, that's all I have to add. Yeah. Thanks, Ben. Thanks. 
well, um, we can uh, we can work on getting our way out of here. Um, uh, Charmer, do you want to kick us off and let us know how people can find your awesome content? Uh, yeah, so uh, I'm on Pornhub. I have an OnlyFans uh, <laughs> Patreon. No, uh, I'm I'm just Charmer on Twitch, but it's Charms Three R because back when I made my gamer tag, I was one of those elite gamers um, on. Uh, YouTube, I'm also just Charmer, Charm3R, so you can find me on Twitch or YouTube uh, and either of those locations. If you feel like following social media, uh, Twitch, uh, or excuse me, Twitter and Instagram is both that Charmer because somebody is camping Charmer and they will not give it to me. It's a dead account on Twitter. I own Charmer.com. I own a number of uh, you know business-related reasons for them to give me the account, and Twitter refuses to comply, so... I'm that charmer on Twitter, but, um, you know, Twitch, YouTube, easy to find me, just charmer, charmer.com links to everything. If you just want to be lazy, that's fine too. Okay. Awesome, man. Um, uh, DVN, how about you? How can people find the content that you're putting out right now? Well, I haven't been putting out a lot of it. Not going to lie. Uh, still, still, you know, taking me longer to adjust to my new job than I think even I really anticipated. Just the hours being something that, you know, trying to manage that and also balance the personal life and stuff like that is important to me. And so to be honest, right now, content creation is like placed third, you know, <laughs> on the priority list after work and personal life. So it, it's been falling through. Uh, you can see a lot of my old content and stuff uh, on YouTube at Deadbrook Nerd. Um, you know, I. I think a week and a half or two weeks ago was the last time I posted something, but eventually yeah, I'll be back to it because uh, I like it too much. I do want to real fast uh, one more time. Uh, thank Charmer for coming on. Uh, I will say just as a kind of a personal note, uh, I've always found Charmer's uh, videos to be highly instructional. One of the things that whenever there's a new game that comes out that I'm interested in, 99% of the time Charmers already put out a video guide <laughs> and a breakdown on gameplay. Um, and so anytime, whether it was uh, Dota Underlords, which actually Charmers single-handedly got me into Dota Underlords, um, or, you know, uh, Runeterra, these are things that, like, anytime there's something new, the person I go to for that kind of breakdown on how to get into it, you know, how the game works, the mechanics, I'm always going to go to Charmers' channel because that is... Um, a place where I know I'm going to get, you know, useful, detailed uh, information um, from a guy that I definitely trust uh, to deliver that information. Um, so, you know, definitely check out the YouTube, especially he streams on Twitch. Lots of fun. Um, and of course, uh, I've had the uh, nice benefit of being able to cast with Charmer, which is awesome. If you enjoyed Charmer's humor here, wait till it's live on a, cha on a channel uh, casting. It's even more exciting. <laughs> Good old dad jokes. Yeah, I don't, I don't know when your podcast is going to go live, so normally I'd say like, hey, I'm casting Underlords starting tomorrow, and it'll go for three straight days for OGA Pit, but I don't know when this is going to go live. So. Uh, this, comes out, this, this comes out Friday uh, at 6 a.m., so um, two days, two days from the time we're recording it, so you will be casting underlords okay yeah point, right? so i'll be when this comes out if you're listening to this the day it came out i'll be casting that day and the day after so it runs uh tomorrow through saturday okay what, uh, what times awesome. is the content out uh the casts start at 9 a.m uh, eastern time 1500 central european time 
because OGA pit is based out of Europe. So okay. cool. Yeah. Well, you heard it here first, guys. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to tell you just to rep. I'm just going to rep the, uh, the the Discord. It's a great community. We'd love to have you come and be a part of it. So if you are looking for a good community, it's a safe community. And it's one that we've worked really hard to cultivate that way. We have some really incredible admins over there as well. And some great new people who've become part of the channel because of the Legends of Runeterra coverage. And uh, it, it's been a really great experience. So come and join the Discord. Um, outside of that, in my day-to-day life, I am a pastor. And so if there's any way that I can be actively supporting you, listening to you, or praying for you, I would love to do that. So um, if there's any way I can be there for you, I, my heart and my goal is to be a light of positivity and encouragement in an otherwise very dark world, which the internet can be at times. So if you're feeling alone, I want you to know that you're not alone and I'm here to just be a support. So if you need someone to listen to you um, or someone who could pray for you, I, I would love to be able to do that. So you can reach out to me over the Discord um, or over our email, which is eslegendscast at gmail.com because I haven't changed it yet. Um, so you can reach out over there as well. Um, but I also just want to thank Charmer. Charmer, uh, you've been someone who I've sort of kept on uh, sort of the outside of my vision um, and, and have been keeping kind of like one eye on as, as you've been streaming. Of course, I was into uh, Elder Scrolls Legends and was watching some of your content there. Um, I'm, I'm frequently kind of creeping around in your channel when you're streaming now doing Legends of Runeterra. I've always loved how uh, informative and yet funny your content is, which is great because those two things do not always go hand in hand. And to be honest with you, as a dad, it is phenomenal to catch a stream from someone else who is a dad um, because there's just not a tremendous amount of people who are. And so uh, I love catching your stream simply because like, I know you have kids and your kids are a little bit older than mine, but I know that we're kind of in a similar life stage. We're carving out time to do things like content creation is a significant sacrifice away from our families. Yeah. So I appreciate well, it. It, for me, it's just sacrifice from sleep. Sleep and I are not friends on Facebook. And then uh, usually every now and then one of them will wake up at night and they'll come in and say hi to the camera and, and everybody. But for the most part, um, I, I try to make sure that I'm putting enough uh, time that I, I can into them. So I try to be available during the day for them. It doesn't always work out. So like tomorrow for the next couple of days is a great example. Uh, you know, I'm getting... Uh, hired to cast so during the day i'll be doing that but for the most part for just like my general day-to-day -day, i really try hard to not do the content stuff until uh after everybody's in bed so mm -hmm. yeah and i try to do the same but then you know i do have this wife who wants to hang out with me after the kids go to bed so uh so <laughs> oh, if, if, i, I yeah, I know. Uh -huh. Yeah. And <laughs> let me know. let me just say it's it's you guys hard. are so mature. Well, there's certain things that are hard to do when your children are awake. Um, and so if you just play video games and create content every time they go to sleep, it becomes harder to do those specific things. Um even harder. I I it's into end. I don't know if you're picking up and no one, no one's even grinning. So, um, but anyway, uh, so yeah, so I, I get that it's a sacrifice to make content. So I appreciate you making content being, uh, that you're, make content, I'm assuming that you're married. So, I'm assuming you know. that you're married. I don't know that for sure. Or, you know, um, but uh, I, I am, I am in fact married. I have, yeah. I have been with my wife for a very, very long time. Um, okay. Oh, we, we are, we are the, uh, the high school sweethearts. Um, been been together for uh, it'll be 20 years in december actually wow. i'm just looking at the date yes yeah, awesome. 20 20, 20 years. years in december wow yeah that is that is incredible that's incredible awesome how long have you uh, can i ask on uh, how long you've been married 
uh 13 years it'll be 14 in no it'll be 13 yeah Man. 13 in uh october that's awesome that's awesome nice. you know not too many people who pull that off anymore that's incredible that's really well, I still got an entire lifetime to mess it up, man. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Okay. Well, hey, that's going to do it, I think, here for us at Legends Cast. I just want to thank you so much for, for tuning in. Thank you once again, Charmer, for coming and being part of the show. We deeply appreciate you spending time with us tonight because there's a lot of things you could be doing. And instead, you just spent an hour and 50 minutes with us. So, thank you so much for doing that, man. And um, yeah, that's going to do it for this episode of Legends Cast. Thanks for tuning in and come back and catch us again next week. Thanks for listening to Legends Cast. This episode was made possible by listeners like you. If you want to become a supporter of the show, visit patreon.com slash legendscast or leave a rating and review wherever it is that you listen to podcasts.